Hey everybody, Matt Halpern here with episode 16 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. On behalf of myself, Justin Goodman, and Jordan Goodman, we really appreciate it. Now before we kick into this episode, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone in our Facebook group. You guys seriously continue to kill it each week with the awesome support for one another and the engaging conversation and motivation. From what I can see, you're all pushing one another, you're sharing your truths, and it's really quite inspiring to witness. If you're listening and you haven't joined the Chocolate Croissants Facebook group, I'd really encourage you to do so. You can find the group at www.facebook.com groups slash chocolate croissants. Please don't hesitate to join us there. Chime in in the conversation, ask us questions, make some new friends, and get inspired because it's, as I said, a, a really supportive place uh, to share your creativity, to, to share some of the challenges you may be going through, and um, just connect with like-minded people who, uh, who are looking to better themselves. That's what I'm really seeing there. So if that sounds like you, please join us. I also want to take a moment to give a quick shout out to Rode Microphones. These guys continue to support us and the products are the reason why we get to broadcast to you each week. You can learn more about Rode's podcast microphones and all of their other products at www.rodemic.com or you can check them out via their socials at R-O-D-E-M-I-C or at Rodemic. Now, on to this week's episode. Our guest is the incredibly talented Mike Dawes. Mike is one of the busiest and one of the most prominent finger style guitar players in the world. He travels the world about 10 months of the year, performing on stages both huge and small. This dude jumps out of airplanes when he's bored. Uh, He never turns down a chance to have a memorable life experience, and I know that firsthand. Uh, And he does it even if it means absolutely no sleep. Uh, He's the definition to me of a self-starter. And it was really fascinating to hear him talk casually about everything that he does on a daily basis. It's pretty baffling. He's extremely organized, he's extremely focused, and he knows exactly what he wants out of his life, and he works his ass off to stay true to that vision. There are so many great lessons and nuggets of inspiration in this episode, and uh, the fact that Mike is British and has this lovely voice to listen to really makes this 90 minutes of content quite digestible in my opinion. Um, but seriously, Mike is a great guy. I met Mike, uh, a couple years ago through touring with periphery. Um, he is good friends with some of the guys in my band and I can't stress enough how much of a good friend he really is. Any chance that he can come out to come see us play anytime we're even close enough He reaches out, we get in touch, and he makes a really strong effort to get together. And I think you'll understand sort of how impressive that is and and just how admirable that is, I guess, once you listen to this episode. So I'm going to zip it now. I will let you guys get into this. I'm excited for you to hear this one. The conversation definitely added a ton more fuel to my fire, and I really hope that it does the same for you. So without further ado... Here is episode 16 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast featuring my good friend, Mr. Mike Dawes. Hey, now, nice, nice to hear from you, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, you know, it's funny. I uh, I remember when we were in London for the last Periphery show, I think you said to me, 
when are we going to go chocolate croissanting or something like that? <laughs> man, that was a fun show. Dude, congrats on that show, by the way. That was a, a real special moment. Thank you, man. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty, pretty baffled by how that show turned out. And uh, it just, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you got to see it. A lot of people uh, have been coming up to me randomly, like online, and giving me lots of uh, praise for that show. And in fact, I was at the Warp Tour the other day, and I ran into this, uh, these guys from this band. Um, I can't remember the name offhand. The Gospel Youth, maybe, who are from the UK. Oh, sick. They were at that show, I guess. So I don't know if you know who they are, but yeah. Anyway. Nice, man. Yeah, nice, cool. man. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up going to shows at that venue, so it was pretty cool to see you guys headline. So for me and all the listeners, can you help give us context uh, to what this show was, Mike? Oh, okay. So this was, uh, this was a periphery headline show in London at the Forum, which is, uh, I guess it's one of the biggest venues in London that isn't like an arena. You know what I mean? You've got the Forum, you've got Brixton Academy and Hammersmith, and it's, it's, it's that kind of size venue. And I believe, Matt could probably confirm this, but I believe it was your biggest show like ever, right? Like biggest headline. Yeah, that was definitely our biggest headlining show. Yeah, it was pretty sick. And um, yeah, I mean, I've seen you guys play pretty much every time you've come to the UK, at least for a long time. And it's just, uh, it's bigger and bigger, man. So how'd you guys end up meeting? Dude, we met in Montreal, right? I'm uh, pretty sure. Yeah, was, I think so. Yeah. Where so, uh, was it at um, La Tulipe or was it another venue? It was, yeah, I think it was that. So basically, I was on tour in Montreal at the same time with this tour called International Guitar Night, which is basically like a bunch of guitar. It's like G3, but for acoustic guitar, you know. And um, I just looked up to see who was in town, and I saw Periphery were in town, and I knew Nolly from like back when I was at school, like back when I was at university, right? He used to come around the house to hang with a housemate of mine. And... Um, yeah, we sort of hung out, uh, met up uh, in Montreal, I think, the day before your show and just had a pretty rowdy night, really. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Mark Holcomb about uh, just I kind of reached out to him to, to see if there was any specific stories that we should dig into. <laughs> and he, he mentioned a couple of things uh, regarding, I think, Montreal, but we won't bring those up. <laughs> yeah, I got you, man. I got you. Anyway, well, that's cool. What, well, so, um, yeah, so Jordan, me and Mike, go way back and mike is also really good friends with mark holcomb from uh, my band as well and really you're friends with as you said with nolly and all of us um i think you and mark have probably spent probably the most time together he uh he talked about when you guys i guess went like snorkeling or scuba diving for his wedding yeah. right <laughs> with a scuba diving instructor called spanish wolverine yeah <laughs> it was a that was a good time yeah i went to his his wedding with vanessa over in over in spain that was a good time um yeah i mean I don't know. It's it's weird, man. I mean, I, I tour a lot, much like you guys. I mean, we're in very different scenes, but at the same time, there is a bit of a crossover. But for whatever reason, we just seem to always be in the same place. Like, in whatever country it is, in whatever, like, coast of the USA, I always seem to cross paths with you guys. I don't know why. But, um, you know, fortunately, you're all cool guys, so we kind of get on. So <laughs> Yeah, good. that's true. That's true. On this last tour, it was just in London. I think it happened. Uh, yeah. There wasn't another location, though, was there? No, no, but uh, the previous tour for that was Bristol. I mean, we've met on the East Coast, on the West Coast. Like, I mean, the, just the other week I was in Vegas and, and Mark and Jeff were in town, you know. It's just pretty random. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll bump into some of you guys next month as well. I'm going to be back in the sort of Maryland, D.C. area for a little bit for a few shows. So. Yeah, I saw you're playing uh, Jam in Java in Vienna, Virginia. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, I haven't played there before. I mean, like, I'm I'm coming over to do this sort of festival in uh, this sort of like festival guitar competition thing. I'm judging in in Wisconsin, so tied on a few East Coast shows to that, which will be which will be a lot of fun. Um, it's always a good time on the East Coast. People there really kind of get the whole guitar thing over there. Yeah, I think you'll really enjoy the venue. I've played there years ago, but probably about a half dozen times. And oh, sick! Uh, the venue staff are incredible. the uh, The town is nice and clean, um, and there's just a yeah. lot of good sightseeing as well. Um, yeah, and you'll just you'll be treated well there. Oh yeah, looking forward to it. In fact, yeah, it's Vienna, Virginia, and I think actually, I think Mark and Vanessa and I think Marquides came out to a show I did there at Wolf Trap Barns, like two three years ago in fact yeah man actually that show i played your song scarlet as a duet with an argentinian like 70 year old tango master as a duet and it was so sick and i remember marquides and mark were there and they were just like what 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 just happened man like that's pretty random yeah i remember Good hearing times. about that actually um <laughs> i was i don't remember where i was but i but i i actually recall you being in town for that being down at wolf trap and that's a really sick venue to play. And okay, yeah, so good, good spot. So uh, you know whether it's with uh, whether as whether it's for your solo career or for the other artists you work with. I mean, it mm. seems like you've played some pretty iconic and huge venues and done some pretty crazy gigs. Is there is there like a a massive gig that sticks out to you? <laughs> well, it, yeah, it's it's really really weird, dude. I mean. A lot of the venues that I that are memorable for me, they're not particularly massive in in the sense, you know. I mean, I'm not a band. I'm I'm a solo guitar player. The biggest venues I would play are like kind of reasonable sized theaters, you know. But um, I mean, last night, just last night, I played in Lexington, Kentucky, at this this thing called Wood Songs, which basically goes out live on the TV and the radio to like 90 million people or something ludicrous, you know. Um, so that was kind of kind of fun. But you know, like things like the Troubadour in LA and the Blue Note in New York and and yeah, last week I played at the Bluebird in, in Nashville, which is kind of this legendary kind of singer-songwriter spot. So it's not like Wembley Arena or anything like that, but in the acoustic circuit, I've, I've definitely been been fortunate to play some pretty uh, iconic places for sure. That's awesome. Well, okay, so let's let's go back a bit. I mean, you you've really made a name for yourself as an independent artist, and I can't imagine that's easy because you know, you're doing everything yourself. And I know that you have a lot of skills that, that go along with just your ability to perform and carry yourself well in front of an audience. How did you even, you know, when was that moment when you were younger that you were like, I'm going to make this into a career and I'm going to go head first into this? Yeah. You know, what was it a conscious decision like that? And if so, was there a strategy, you know? Yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, like the scene that I, I'm in, right, this kind of, acoustic guitar instrumental thing it's not first of all the scene itself is pretty small so i guess i'm a certain sized fish in a small pond right and with that comes a limited infrastructure anyway so even the labels that associate with this scene they have kind of that there's a ceiling on the kind of power that they have anyway um or at least that's how i was viewing it so I mean, I'm a perfectionist and a control freak. I mean, I play, I stand on stage alone playing music by myself that I've like written and, 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 and released and letting people into that circle for me is, is a really big deal. I really have to trust someone to let them in, uh, to work with, you know? And the thing is, I enjoy it. Like I enjoy the thrill of, of 
being on my laptop, doing emails and organizing a tour or booking my flights or doing, you know, my own guitar tabs or, or, you know, writing and recording and all this stuff. I enjoy it. Like to a lot of people, it's, it's laborious. It's something that they want to delegate, but I actually am thrilled to do it, you know? Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing is, I actually released my first record with this small label in Wisconsin, but the second record I'm just about to release in September, I realized that over these four years of touring, I kind of have all these contacts myself now, you know? I mean, I know the editors of the guitar magazines. We're mates, <laughs> you know? There's no real need to to give someone else a cut. So I actually started my own record label as well, which I'm in the process of kind of dotting the I's and crossing the T's on right now. So you're describing this... I guess, intuitive entrepreneurial spirit, but I'm curious, is this something that was expressed maybe at a younger age in some other way, or was it just music was first and this was a necessity in order to share your gift with the world? Sure. I mean, I, I guess there's a, there's a few things. First of all, I've always put travel and music as an equal part of what makes my life enjoyable i want to go everywhere meet everyone do everything i jump out of planes i go flyboarding i do stupid stuff and music is also self-expression it's very important for me to do that so i decided at an early age that i wanted to try and combine the two and be a touring musician not just a musician but a touring musician that's of equal importance to me in terms of my own happiness um and also when i got my first break i, I released my first single it went viral on youtube right now obviously we're in 2017 like we can do things like that we can release music and have the world share it uh for you you know you don't need infrastructure to have a viral video you just need people that like your stuff um and it was then that i kind of really realized that all you really need is people power you know i mean you can have a pr you can spend thousands of dollars on a, on, on pr to push things down people's throats but at the end of the day if people aren't willing to share it it's only going to go so far so if you're writing content that is genuine that people want to share you honestly don't need that much of an infrastructure so mike you're referencing that gautier cover yeah yeah i, I released that in like 2012 and it kind of went went super, super mega on me um but um and, and a few other videos as well uh, at least the equivalent of going mega back then you know which was sort of you know a couple of million views in a day kind of vibe whereas now you can get like 20 million views on Facebook for, you know, a cat sneezing or whatever. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a real testament to the fact that the people have the power. And that's true of musicians as well. Um, this is one of the reasons I've decided to set up my own record label and take this big risk with my second album, rather than saying yes to another deal with, with a similar label and ha having that security, because I want to be on the ground floor. Uh, this is, without a doubt, the way the industry is going. The power is with the musicians. Um, it, it's, it's just a fact and it's only going to get more with the musicians, right? Um, I want to be in a position in 10 years time where I have an established system in place where I can re record, release, do this, do the graphics, do everything myself and not have to share the, the profit with it, with anybody really, other than ob obvious things like, you know, merch printing and blah, 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 blah. Um, I want to minimize that. Um, and yes, I'm a control freak and yes, I am super stressed a lot of the time, but at the same time, that thrill gives me enjoyment. And, and as I said, you know, I have a phone, I have a laptop, I have an iPad. You can do this from, I'm sat in a child's bedroom in West Virginia right now, 
staying with some friends after finishing a tour. They're all out at work and they just let me crash at their place for the day. Um, they're all out. I'm sat here next to the router doing this interview with you guys. And I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm sat here with some great people. We're going to play some Nintendo 64 tonight. You know, life's good. It's all fun. And, and it's also thrilling that I've, I've made that happen myself. And, and I haven't, it, it's, all, it's, it's all work I've done myself and the public's response. No middlemen. Side note, I've been playing Mario Kart 64 a bit more over the past <laughs> month, few months. It's fucking amazing, man. You know what's terrifying is this girl, Riley. Um, I'm staying with my buddy Spencer, his daughter, Riley. She's freakishly good at it. Like, we're always first and second place. I, I sometimes come and stay here at the end of a tour or something just to wind down. And we have a proper vendetta. I mean, I, I'm, I'm slating her with witty, brutal brutal english banter and she takes it they they love it we, we have a good little thing going on so who's okay. your who, who's your who's who's your driver of choice uh you know i never really got emotional about that because i never was <laughs> super big into video games growing up especially when the 64 came out that's when i kind of fell off so i've actually never developed the skill of kind of the double joystick so i can't do any of those like first shooter <laughs> games you know by the time yeah, i'm yeah, trying yeah. to like adjust my perspective you know my head is blown off um, yeah, man. But I think maybe like a Yoshi. Dude, yeah, Yoshi's cool. I'm a Toad guy. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> it says so much. Um, yeah. So a lot of the things you're talking about, um, just being an independent entrepreneur and relying on yourself as you project kind of 10 years into the future where you could uh, create the most leverage for yourself. These are a lot of things that we've been talking about on, on a bunch of these episodes. But I mm. know that many of our listeners right now are listening and thinking, oh, well, you know, it's easy for someone like Matt to start a podcast or it's easy for someone like you uh, to have your own record label when you already have a platform, right? So you did have to get to a certain point. Obviously, you lucked into this idea that a video went viral, even if you had all the talent in the world. Um, so what would you say to listeners uh, who kind of have that counterpoint uh, in the sense that, well, it's easy for you to say. Well, first of all, I, I mean, I kind of completely disagree with that <laughs> because um, the everything that I've done, there's been no real advantage to having any sort of infrastructure because I've never had the infrastructure in the first place. That's the thing. I mean, if, if you say it's easy for you to say like, oh, Matt's in a band, he can have a podcast, but the dude grinded his ass off to to get to the position he was in the band anyway. Um, relating that to my situation to do with infrastructure and doing things myself, I mean, I, I say, take this Gautier cover, for an example, which, which went viral. You know, I, I did that arrangement because I had a shitty breakup. You know, I know that's, that's such a cliched musician thing to say. So I arranged, at the time, the world's greatest breakup song, which is somebody that I used to know, right? I know it's such a cliche, you know, such a snowflake thing to say, <laughs> but like I did it and I, I grinded through it in like two weeks. It all just came out super genuinely. There was no, like, there was no mentality of this is a popular song, therefore people might like it. It was all a completely genuine form of self-expression. And then the next day I recorded it. The next day I shot the video. This is all off my own back, my own budget and everything. And then I basically gave it to this, this YouTube channel to release. That's the thing. The, the label's YouTube channel, that's all it is, really, or the, all it was to me at the time was a YouTube channel. There was no investment in the project. I presented them with this fully formed piece with video, with tab, with everything. They just put it on YouTube and it went viral. Now, yes, they had a few hundred thousand YouTube subscribers, but the real thing that kicked it off 
was me sending it out because they, they didn't really do publicity it was just putting it on the channel but i sent it out to things like the songwriter himself and all these other places and, and reddit and things and that's where where it kicked off right the only difference between sort of myself now and myself then is using a youtube channel which had about a hundred thousand more subscribers than i have right now but that's the only thing right and to be honest i'm not really willing to pay say half my royalties for you know in perpetuity for that privilege and the amount of work that you choose to put in by yourself more than makes up for that so, and like honestly to anyone listening you can do this yourself there's no such thing as easy for you to say if you if you're grinding like you're always grinding i'm not in a super big position i'm not tommy emmanuel or even andy mckee i'm still just some pretty unknown uk guitarist but i grind that's the thing you've got to be willing to to enjoy every aspect of the uh, the business side of of being a musician but always remember to have something genuine to say so that was actually going to be my question, Mike, because you talk about the business side of things and grinding, and so much of that is not the travel portion where you get to have those experiences. It's not staying with friends. It's not performing on stage or recording videos necessarily. You're going to do all those things, but there's a ton of work underneath that, like underneath oh, the surface. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple questions came to mind when you were talking about everything that you do. And, and even if we're just talking about starting a label or releasing a new record, you know, what's your method for keeping track of everything? Are you a list keeper? Are you a scheduling guy? <laughs> you know, what's your, do you know, do you just keep everything in, in, in your head? What, what's your method to really stay on track? But then also... And I think I know the answer to this, but I, it'll be good for the, the listeners to hear. What's your motivation on a daily basis that forces you to grind? You know that that that, yeah, that pushes you to grind. So those it's a two part question. So basically, how do you manage it all, and how do you stay in it? Yeah. So first of all, it would be a complete lie to say everything's great all the time and it's a really happy experience all the time. Like it is. Of extremely stressful thing to do yourself so first of all i will say this it's not a breeze it's not easy at all um i am not particularly disciplined with my own schedule and i'm not a list keeper i'm i keep too much in my head and that is an additional stress that i should not do and i'm aware of this and it's something that actually this year i'm trying to change i'm trying to change my method and and i i uh, i make i've started to write things down a little bit more right now um, but, um, I mean, the thrill of doing it keeps, keeps me going, but also understanding that there is honestly no such thing as a bad idea, only bad execution. And what I mean by that is, this was a phrase that kind of popped into my head last night, actually. What I mean by that is if you have a, a lot of things that you want to accomplish today, and you're a self-employed musician with no right or wrong answer. You know, there are no, there aren't necessarily deadlines. You know what I mean? That there's no path that is correct versus a path that is wrong. But you can do any path well if you work hard at it. So as long as you understand that it's okay to take a break, it's okay to take a day off, right? As long as what you end up doing is executed very well. Does this, does this make sense? Maybe you can relate to this, Matt. I mean... It's, it gets really daunting sometimes, doesn't it? That there are so many decisions that you could make and you just have to pick one and go with it. Like starting this podcast. There's, you know, This is just a shot in the dark, really. You're just having fun 
but you're executing it with passion and with grind, right? Yes, absolutely. For me, I kind of, you know, I follow my gut feelings and I, you know, I argue with myself and I debate things with my partners on the projects that I'm a part of um, because it's sometimes very hard to rely on my own idea and then decide on a strategy from there that is just going to work, you know? Yeah. So for I mean, me, you have, go, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Go. I was saying like, so, so you, you bounce ideas off with other people, right? Does that, you find that helps you, uh, in sort of decision making like this? For me, it does. And you know, it, let's take the podcast for example, you know, when we released the first episode, there had already been a ton of back and forth between myself, Jordan, and Justin about what we wanted to do and how we wanted to present it and what was good and what wasn't. I mean, we have episodes that we recorded that hopefully will never see the light of day because <laughs> because they were, in my opinion, you know, in our opinion, they just weren't really up to par. They weren't bad, but they just weren't, we didn't have our footing. And even in the first few episodes, we didn't have our footing. So we made a point to create essentially a community on the Facebook group to where we can get direct feedback from our audience. And what's great is that's one kind of feedback that, that, you know, you can choose to look for if you are starting something, you know, if you're very, absolutely. Yeah. If you're very honest with your audience and you ask them to provide input, most of the time they will. Um, but then there's other things too. I mean, you know, I, I always bounce my ideas off of people that I trust who I think are smarter than me and who typically have better ideas than I do. Um, I'm lucky to have some really smart friends and you know, you know, some of these people, Mike, we're, we're both pretty lucky to have some really smart, smart friends. And when I have something I'm thinking about, it always helps to just get a gauge of that temperature. It doesn't necessarily mean I'll agree with what they have to say and their opinion doesn't, right. doesn't, um, you know, dictate, whether I move ahead with something or not, but it's more data for me to analyze and and more input for me to think about and maybe tweak some things. So yeah, I I mean that's how I do it. You know, that's it's really interesting because um, for the benefit of the listeners, if you know you're starting your own thing, whatever it is, being a being an artist, being a you know a musician, an actor, whatever, what it's doing your own thing, it is important to. To, to grow that that thick skin and, and be okay to look for criticism and, and accept that people will have other ideas there's 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 no point say writing a piece of music and only asking your mom if she likes it because she's going to say it's the best thing ever you know what i mean um and that's where having a good support team be it be it actual business partners or be it just friends like you say smart friends who will will tell you how it is i mean there are some songs i i cut for this this new album that didn't make the cut uh, simply because I played it to a few people I really respected and they were just honest with me. They, they didn't get the vibe. And, and then when I went back and listened to it, maybe a few weeks later, I kind of agreed with them, you know? Um, so, so what you're doing, I guess, with the, the Facebook group and getting fan feedback or audience feedback is, is really, really smart. And, um, honestly, that's something that I, I see you guys doing, uh, but by you guys, I mean, um, the sort of periphery circle in the sense of we have a lot of friends that are sort of based around this scene, uh, not necessarily in your band, but um, friends that I've made through that particular scene. And they're all very, very smart tech savvy guys. And I actually learn a lot watching you guys work. And it's, it's really uh, interesting how you, you do really genuinely respond to audience feedback. So yeah, if you're listening, 
um, tell us tell us we're shit. <laughs> we can take it's okay. it. We can, we can take, take it. it. You know, I, I share publicly often, and I do these drum circle based empowerment programs, and mm. I'll often give out feedback forms. And I really need to encourage the uh, people I'm working with uh, to really think about constructive criticism. And I'll tell them, like, I can take it. And in fact, if you're going to like demonstrate true love, like, tell me what didn't work or what you wanted more from me. Um, because mm. that's the only way that I'm going to be able to learn how to add more value to the people that I serve. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, constructive criticism is very important. I mean, any solo venture, or even a, a venture with a, a small amount of people, you know, well, say, say solo solo venture, you're the least objective person in the entire world about that particular venture. You know, it's impossible to to remove yourself from the situation entirely and see it for what it is. I mean, take a complex piece of guitar music as an example i mean you're focused on playing this thing i mean you can't be 100 percent focused on listening that's where uh feedback is really 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 important so mike this guitar thing for you where the hell did that come from <laughs> this guitar thing um so i guess i i guess for the benefit of the listeners i i play acoustic guitar sort of solo on stage in a in a slightly unusual way where i try and kind of play the bass part and the harmony and the melody and the, the percussion kind of simultaneously. It's a, it's a small but growing scene, but for me it's always been a, about writing music without other musicians rather than standing on stage and doing some party tricks. Um, uh, basically, I'm from a small town. It's as simple as the fact that there weren't many other musicians around that, that wanted to jam. I, I just kind of, the, the, the short version is I, I started messing around by myself because I wanted to perform and I wanted to travel. And um, and the acoustic guitar, when I discovered that when I was about 17, it changed everything because suddenly it was um, everything just clicked. You know, it was a diverse box. I was a I was big into electric guitar before that. But um, the added uh, element of the hollow body um, just just created a lot more. It, it just it pun intended vibrated literally uh, much better with me. It resonated better with me. And um, yeah, I sort of combined my love for for heavy music with my love for sort of Celtic music and, and fingerstyle guitar. And I guess that approximates something close to what I've been doing professionally for the past sort of, I guess, four or five years now. So it wasn't until 17 that you made that switch. That blows my mind, considering how yeah. successful you've been. Oh, that's really kind of you, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, I was playing electric guitar since I was 12. And then I, and 17 was when I, I wrote this uh, this tune on an acoustic guitar, and that's actually the tune that I've opened. They're pretty much every single gig I've ever done with. It's kind of a, it's a, sort of a safety blanket, you know. Um, I, I always open with that, and it makes me feel safe. But yeah, that was actually written ten years ago to the to the month. Um, something interesting about that is is the process of actually writing that song. I actually developed tendonitis. Um, I don't know if that's something that's interesting to your listeners um, who are musicians and perhaps suffering with with repetitive strain type injuries. But I went through all of that, and that was a real tough time uh when i was 17 i i couldn't play guitar for about eight months because of that so there's been lots of hurdles along the way and i think um uh, probably some psychological issues as well that, that mean that i don't let anyone else into that that inner circle but um but right now i'm i'm in, I'm in a happy place and uh and doing doing a lot of recreational travel as well still haven't decided where i want to end up living though i'm a bit of a nomad living out of a suitcase most of the time well i'm curious in those eight months uh what did you learn about yourself as far as maybe coping skills or did that allow you time to explore other interests or even to realize that 
this guitar thing was the thing for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, before the tendonitis, I actually had another injury that put me out for about a year. When I was 15, I, I severed my fingertip in a door. So one of my fingers of my fretting hand is actually sewn back on, which is pretty gross. But it's kind of cool because I have limited limited nerve sensitivity in it, so I can kind of shred for hours with that finger. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I've just i never had a, a, a backup plan. I mean, any injury or setback is... It's just that it's a setback. I've I've never had anything else that I wanted to do with my life, and I've been very fortunate that my my mum and dad, who I lived with through my you know adolescence, like like most people, um, were just like, okay, that's what he's going to do, and they they were never the kind of people to say, what is your plan B, and I think the fact that I was never exposed to the mentality of having a plan B. I think that's what kept me going mentally, if that makes sense. You not I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a plan B, but but for me just it was a single tunnel vision the whole time. And these injuries were just, hey ho, well when I heal, I'm gonna do this. You know? Um I, I'd be interested to hear what, what you guys think about that. Did you guys have a sort of backup plan in place growing up? Um I did not really. I mean, I always knew drumming was going to be the thing. I just didn't know how it would manifest itself finally. Uh, and, you know, of course, I have other interests too. But for a long time, I had to make drumming the main and only focus and kind of have that be the, the umbrella and then figure out what else I could put underneath that the category of, of drumming. Um, there, there was one thing that I wanted to, to ask, actually two things. So um, one, are you an only child, Mike? I'm not. I have a. I'm the, I'm the oldest. I have a younger sister who's two years younger. Okay, gotcha. Um, and two, kind of along that that same direction, and and kind of with the question that Jordan was asking in a way, you know, over that eight month period, I'm sure that was that was challenging for you. Um, and what, you know, I like being in a band because when I travel, I'm kind of with a big group. You know, it's like a nice big clique of people, and there's always someone to hang out with, and. There's right. there's the camaraderie that's built, but I mean, you do a ton of solo travel. Mm. Uh, where did you? How did you get comfortable with that? I mean, was that something that was ever scary for you, um, working by yourself and doing all these things by yourself, or have you always been just completely comfortable with yourself being independent? Mm. That is a really interesting question because I think about this quite a lot. You know, um, I think. The solo aspect of travel for me has been a means to an end, the end being travel. Um, I love to travel so much that traveling solo isn't really anything that would put me off doing it. Um, but at the same time, even though I'm on stage alone and, and, and taking the flights alone, that's, that's, that's the solo part is taking the flights. Um, I'm never really alone when i'm at the location i will always be met by the air at the airport by say the other musicians i'm touring with or the promoter who i've become friends with or even at this stage now i've been doing it for coming up to five years friends that i've made in those countries and in those cities you know so now i mean although my first trip to asia i was solo but then I, i've always been very comfortable socializing and meeting people so now I go back there again and suddenly I'm staying at those guys' spot or hanging with them and their families. And and um, it, it's always the first time going to a new place. I guess the, the part of it that is that could be considered isolating is actually replaced by the adrenaline of going to a new place. 
and the thrill of that. Whereas then the second time, the, the time I return, I've already made contacts and friends there because I'm just kind of quite a social person. I was never a social person growing up, which is what's quite funny. I, I like many other musicians, spend their teenage years just in their room playing instead of really going out. Whereas now I sort of use that as a, as a, almost a kind of, I wouldn't say a defense, but a means to being very extroverted when I travel. Um, so, so that's the kind of the way I deal with it. The first time I go somewhere new, it's the, got you, I've got the adrenaline. I'll, I'll, I'll be thrilled to meet people. And then this, when I go back, I've got friends there already. And, and honestly, something that I would really encourage any listener to do is, is, is travel outside of, if, if you've never left your, you know, your comfort zone, be it your, your hometown, your home city, even your home country, I'd really encourage people to do that because say I grew up in a very small town with a pub, you know, an English village town, and it would always be the same group of people and they were my friends and that's great. And I, I do love these people. Um, but there are people out there in the world that I haven't met yet. There are people out there in the world that I have met through travel who I click with on another level, be it musicians or just good hearted people. And I consider these people much closer friends, even though I may only see them once every two years. And that, for me, I put up there with the thrill of travel and playing music, being able to connect with people that I connect with on a deeper level than I would have if I had been afraid to travel by myself. I can really see the uh, the metaphor in jumping out of a out of a plane, because that's something that I've <laughs> personally committed to do. Uh, hopefully, in the next, uh, I guess by by summer's end. Oh, do it! It's the best. But for a lot of people, I mean, obviously, as as social creatures, we cling to a comfort or habit. And that's why so many people may stay in the same career for 50 years, even if it doesn't really light them up or even the same relationship or the same town, to your point. Um, so there really is a lot of vulnerability and risk in the lifestyle that you've chosen. So I'm wondering, uh, do you feel a sense of security in it or do you maybe just get off in that lack of uh maybe uh having some sort of foundational either place to live uh or even relationship um so so you're saying do i do i thrive off risk yeah essentially yeah i mean um right now i'm 27 i turn 28 in a few days and the short answer is yes i I've said yes to literally play shows in territories where ISIS have a strong president, uh, have a strong presence for like barely any money. You know what I mean? Like, like, like in the traditional sense of, would you like to take this risk? We will give you this much money or whatever. I, I say yes to things like this because it's thrilling. And, and I, I put experience above anything else be it money stuff or, or at this stage relationships, although you could tie relationships to experience. Um, I absolutely 100% thrive off having no safety net. I mean, I, the first time I went to Asia, I mean, I'm sure I can say this now on this podcast, but I won't mention the country, but I, I went there, let's say less than legit. If that makes sense to any kind of traveling musicians out there the kind of thing where you would just give your passport to a random guy and get it back when you left, 
You know what I mean? Just really dodgy. And I've, I've, again, I've taken a little risk saying this, but I've bribed officials in certain parts of the world. And, and but you know what? I wouldn't change that for anything because that's a kick-ass memory. You know, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't hurt anyone. Not to my knowledge, I haven't done anything that is selfless to the point of affecting other people in a negative way. I think that is the bar that you need to always be very aware of, right? You've got to always be good to everyone. Um, that being said, other, as long as that's not being affected, I'll, I'll, I'll jump without a net for sure. Um, at least, at least at age twenty-seven, right now, I'm saying that. Yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of listeners hearing your story and. And thinking, oh man, Mike must be fearless, right? And, and now, so, uh, there's, yeah. a, so oh, there's yeah. a difference. There is a difference between uh, playing a gig where there's a, a presence of ISIS versus choosing the the career path and the lifestyle path that you've chosen for yourself. Uh, both, you know, will create a sense of uh, a fear naturally for us. Uh, mm. But it's really in what we do with that fear. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners who uh, are envious of you and would like a similar lifestyle and probably, to be honest, have the talent to live that lifestyle if they so choose. But for some reason, uh, there is something that's holding them back. So I'm curious when you do come up with that that fear or maybe uh, resistance is a better word. Um, how have you learned to manage that and deal with it? Yeah, um, I think a lot of this came at the beginning. Um I, I guess going back to my early my earlier point, now a lot of the places that I'm going to, I'm already sort of set up socially, and that removes a lot of the element of of risk and by association fear. Um, but when I first started, I think my 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 way of easing into this world was was m- maybe hold some insight here. When I released that first video, and it went off, uh, took off online. I had all these offers of tours come into my inbox from all over the world. In fact, the very first one was from Lebanon, going back to my previous point. However, they were also saying, where's the album? And I was saying to myself, well, I can't tour without an album. I've got to have some some merch. I've got to have something to promote. I've got to have more songs to play. You know, um, At that point, I was in a... Up until that point, I was in this relationship where I was playing duo music with an ex-girlfriend. And when we split up, all my repertoire went with her. So I only had this one arrangement that I'd done, somebody that I used to know, right? So what I said to all these these emails was, yes, I would love to come, but give me one year, and in one year I will I will be there and I'll have my record. So what I did through that year was I wrote my my debut album, which currently is the only album I have. I'm releasing the new one on September the 15th. Um, I, I wrote that album at the same time as learning to book these flights and put these little gig offers in place manually by myself. Right. So I sort of had this 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 stacked series of, say, four months worth of tour dates the following year. And that's what happened. So it got around to April the 9th, 2013. The album came out and the first show was April the 13th in Germany. And um, and then I've kind of been on the road ever since. So I think that year gave me this kind of, you know, hands on approach to looking at every aspect of how does one travel, you know, what do you do at an airport? Where's the check-in desk? You know what I mean? Like, how much baggage can I take? Uh, what's the weight allowance of this airline? What visas do I need to go here? And because it was a gradual process of a year based on a sure thing, and the sure thing was going to these places because I had offers. I think that's the difference. I think if it had been shooting in the dark and having the motivation to try and organize myself without any kind of end game in place, 
maybe I wouldn't have had the the uh, the confidence to go through with it. But because I literally had in black and white, do this by this date and you will come here, that gave me that extra layer of motivation to uh, to do that. Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that seems like such a luxury to really have that year to get your shit together. That That's exactly right. I mean, it's very unusual that you would release something to sort of get offers before you've actually released something you know it's it was so random um so i think that maybe that holds some insight into into that process rather than sort of trying to pitch pitch a record to the press and and getting some offers off the back of that and not knowing where it would go i had a certain amount of employment shall we say in place and also i was teaching guitar full-time at the time so i i uh, i started by going out and doing sort of hit and runs at the weekends and then it got, after a few months it got to the point where I had to quit and I, I knew I had enough months worth of touring employment to sustain myself if I were to quit my teaching job and um, and that's kind of been, been how it's been going ever since. I'm on the road maybe 10 months of the year now for the past four years or, or, or coming up to five years and I normally go home for December um, and that's that's kind of how it's been, yeah. So the teaching something I wanted to get into, uh, that's something all three of us have in common in that we teach music, but what sure. y you and Matt have more in common is that you've really leveraged both uh, your platform and audience, uh, but also your ability to travel around the world uh, in order to share the teaching as well. I was checking out your website this morning, um, and you promote uh, or different ways to connect uh, in more of a teaching or lesson format. Mm. Um, so is yeah. that is that something that was a means to an end just because you're trying to find ways to monetize uh, you know your skill of guitar or was that something that sharing it with someone else has always lit you up in a way I mean honestly it, it is both um, the, for me teaching is something I really enjoy I mean my my solo show involve is actually a lot of communication. I, I spend a lot of time on the mic talking shit, really, um, and teaching is sort of a way to talk shit at people, but for them to actually get something out of it. Um, so I do really enjoy teaching. I do the on tour lessons. I know Matt does this um, uh, very often. Um, I, I, you still do on tour lessons, right, Matt? Yeah, pretty much on every yeah. tour. Yep, absolutely right. Um, when I I do teach on Skype as well, but it's very rare now because of the touring. Um, and I also occasionally do these things called cottage clinics, where when I am back in the UK, people come up to the cottage in the west of England where I am and sort of uh, spend the entire day doing a sort of one-to-one -one clinic. I also have like apps on the app store and things like that. So there's lots of um, teaching materials out there, like I mentioned earlier, guitar tab and stuff. Um, honestly, in terms of the fulfillment um, of the, the gratification of people responding to your creative output, one of the most gratifying things, I'm sure Matt will agree, um, because we play quite technic technical music, um, is, is seeing someone on YouTube having gone through all that time and effort to learn something you have created and play it back in an awesome way. You know, someone that's taken the time to to learn that every little note, every little nuance and, and nail it. That's honestly the most, for me, probably the most gratifying thing as a musician that you can, uh, you can witness. Yeah, I could agree with that. It's always nice to see someone put in the time and then really crush it. And, you know, I like when I see people that you can tell they know the 
you know, they know the technical aspect of whatever it is, but then they add their own twist to it. That's always really nice too. But from a teaching perspective, my favorite thing is being able to work with students who are actually excited and motivated and really take it seriously. That's when, that's when that student is going to get my best teaching, you know? Right. Because I know that they're serious about it. I can really put a ton of passion into it. And I know it's just not going to go like in one ear, not the other. And it's just all about like, you know, having this like sit down and, uh, you know, I took a lesson with Matt or I took a lesson with Mike uh, or Jordan for that matter. It's really like, yeah, 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 you're a great teacher, but I want to learn this. And I'm really amped about learning this, you know, like that's, that's Mm. always the most fun, I think. Yeah, of course. I mean, otherwise it becomes routine. Totally. Uh, yeah, and that and that's if if we thrived on routine, then we'd be in a routine. I think part of the going back to the, the thrill and the risk of of what all three of us are doing is that there is no routine, and that that. And I honestly think, kind of spiritually, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself the most spiritual person, but I mean, maybe you guys could agree. But since breaking a routine, be it school or university or or, or a regular kind of nine to five. Um, I feel like because the accumulation of memories are so varied, I feel like I have lived longer. That sounds really bizarre, but do you relate to this at all? Like I, you know, I'm thinking about, say, a, a, a tour I did or a trip I did, and I'm thinking, wow, was that only two years ago? It seems like it was like 10 years ago. Um, so I honestly think that, that breaking a routine and is the key to a at least spiritually long, longer existence on Earth. <laughs> Maybe that sounds crazy, but... Um, I don't know. That's kind of the way I, I like to think of things, I guess. That totally makes sense. That's that was actually a really cool way to to you know describe that kind of thing because I do think back and I think about all these experiences and I can't believe how recent some of the experiences were because it feels like it was so long ago, and mm. uh, it is because there's no real routine and you live for the experiences rather than you know for the weekend, if that makes sense. Um, yeah that's that's how that's how we like to to do things i think however obviously there are i don't want to i don't want either of us to sort of sit here and be like everyone should do this because it's the tits um so many people thrive off that security and 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 living for the weekend is is totally fine i just think for myself personally um I, I prefer to, to do more variation, but I don't in any way want anyone listening to think that like any of us are kind of, well, my, my, I was just speaking for myself here. I don't want anyone to think that I'm preaching like being a life coach or anything and saying, you should all do this because you'll be happier. Everyone is different. And I think people can use that to fuel their own creativity and whatever it is that they're doing. Everyone can tailor, tailor make their lifestyle to suit their own happiness and their own goals. And, um, yeah, it's really motivating. Uh, just yeah, it's really motivating talking about this stuff. I feel super motivated, guys. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing all the motivating for yourself. It seems like that's awesome. Well, okay. So within that though, there has to be some sort of routine. I would imagine that that you stick to being in a different place all the time, having a different schedule, being with different people. Are there any things that you do on a daily basis that are ritualistic in that sense, like? I know Jordan has a morning routine. I sort of do. Um, you know, there, there's just certain things every day that that you need, and maybe the answer is just it, it's travel for you in an, in and of itself. Like that is fulfilling, and you don't really need that. But are there any specific rituals or things that you take advantage of each day? 
Um, I'm really trying to think. Honestly, um, I don't really have any regularity, any any consistency. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to think. Um, because also you throw in time zones into the equation and, um, and also what you have to achieve in a specific moment, be it say right now I'm working on this label and this release and at the same time I've got to write three DVDs worth of content for this 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 tuition thing that I'm working on at the same time I'm on the road so I'm sat in a house in Charleston West Virginia right now I was just on tour I'm, I'm going to Sicily in a few days and then immediately coming back to the states to do another tour there's no routine there at all the one but I would really like to have a routine of just physical or spiritual exercise and that's something that i really want to get into because this year especially maybe it's just turning it's being 27 or or whatever i mean i try and look after my myself on the road i don't eat you know crap but i do feel uh run down and and i suffer from migraines occasionally but quite rarely but the more i'm out of a routine of sleep and eat so sleep and food if I spend three days or four days being inconsistent with that, I'll get hit with a migraine. And um, so there is an amount of sort of physical well-being that I want to try and uh, take care of. And actually, I know this is something that you might have been getting into. We spoke about this in London and, and Jeff Holcomb was, was doing the same thing, getting into this kind of routine of just 45 minutes of exercise. And I could just see how, how happy and fulfilled it kind of made everyone. And, you know, it's funny, I, you know, at the very least, I'll do 10 minutes of exercise a day. And that seems to be enough for me to, to feel stabilized in that, in that way. And it keeps you feeling good and it keeps you from getting sick, especially if you're going to sweat it out. So there's a lot of benefits to it. I remember that conversation. And, you know, it's so easy if you think about it to be able to, to, to stay fit in that way. And the physical fitness helps you stay mentally fit. I mean, it, it, it's such a connected kind of kind of thing, and for me, it, it keeps me sane. So you know, even if it is five minutes a day to do something like that, mm. will really help you. And it's funny, you know, Mark Holcomb and Jeff Holcomb both have been more consistent about it lately, and I've gotten some text messages from Mark um, and from Jeff that are just you know basically saying like, "This is awesome. I do feel better. I have I have more energy." And maybe for you, the you know eating eating well and doing your best to listen to your body's needs for sleep, maybe that is the ritual. You know, because the time zones are always changing, because you're always in a different place, maybe that is it. And that's okay. I mean, it can be simple like that. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, um, actually, one one thing that I I do terribly is sleep. I'm really bad at sleeping, and this is something that. Has always been the case for me. Um, I mean, these these past two weeks. I mean, I was going from two hours a night to four hours a night. The maximum was five hours a night sleep. But is that okay? Just, it, just not to interrupt you, but is that you tossing and turning in bed, or is that you sort of uh, like the fear of missing out factor? Because I I know you, right? I, like I know that if there's an if there's a chance for you to just go to bed or go out and have an awesome experience or have a meal or jump out of a plane or whatever it is like similar to again we you know bringing up Mark Holcomb you know I know Mark very rarely will choose sleep over 
a chance to do something that could be really fun and he doesn't want to miss out. So which is it for you? It is absolutely both. It's fear of missing out 100% until I get to the point where my body is so physically drained, I try and sleep and then I can't. It's, 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 it's that when that happens, it's sort of insomnia based on the fact that I am taking on a lot of responsibility in my own career and, and, and professional, professional and personal life. This is something that I think is a side effect. A lot of people will feel when they take on any kind of self-employed venture is the worry factor. And I have a very hyperactive mind. I actually wrote a tune literally about this for the, for the record. Um, it's, it's tough. I mean, I have to be, I think maybe on some psychological level, I go out a lot and do stupid things just so I can have a peaceful night's sleep because my body is so drained. I can't even summon the energy to worry. <laughs> Does that sound really sad? Um, no, yeah, it, it, that makes sense to me. Um, but, um, it's, but it's in terms of, yeah, I've, I've always been a very bad sleeper, but funnily enough, um, I don't think I think something that hasn't helped. Something that you might find interesting is until March this year, I'd never had a cup of coffee in my life. Um, and I was introduced to coffee in Las Vegas by my friend from Finland who makes amazing, amazing coffee. And now that's kind of been fueling. I mean, this tour, especially, I'm, I mean, I just did summer Nam and obviously anyone that's been to a Nam show or knows what the Nam show is, will know that there's very little opportunity for sleep there if you're doing it right. Uh, um, and coffee's kind of been the fuel that's kept me going. So, um, yeah, maybe I'm on course for some kind of physical and mental breakdown, which I think is one of the reasons why I'm really interested in the stuff that we were talking about in London, just even the 10 minutes a day of just n not even focusing on the physical well-being, but taking time to do something that makes your makes you feel better, as just, just feel happier and, and get the blood flowing, you know? Man, Mike, I thought all of your accomplishments were so impressive, but the fact that you avoided coffee until you're 27, <laughs> that's like next level. It's crazy. I mean, I'm from the land of tea, but like at the same time, that is really weird. I mean, people in, in England do drink coffee. It's just, I don't know, man. I, I just, maybe I just didn't like the smell when I was a kid or something. But um, I, I, now at this stage, because I, I think last year what happened is I was doing these tours with, so, so there's a band called the Moody Blues who are like this kind of legendary old rock band from like the 60s and I do shows sort of opening for and playing with the front man and on those tours I found myself being so tired that I would neck a couple of Red Bulls before going on stage and actually Chris Trapea who I know you know Matt um, he used to tech for you guys he's the tech on that tour and he noticed from the side of the stage that when I was between songs my hand was just like twitching and slapping my leg like completely subconsciously and he was like dude that's that's really not good and um i think if i do need a caffeine injection i would rather it be from coffee than from red bull and i think that's where the, the decision kind of came from is yeah. that is that weird you know, no I, I can relate to that i don't really mess with any of the energy drinks you know yeah i stick to coffee if i need my caffeine or i stick to tea because tea has quite a bit of caffeine as well mm. um yeah, you work with you get to work and, and tour with T Rope, um, yeah. who is who is a, a, a great dude. But you know, so, in, in, so not not to interrupt you, Matt, but like we met in Montreal. That's where I met that dude because he okay. was taking for you at that show. That's and, right. Um, it's it's crazy how this stuff works, man. Now we're like 
sharing crew. <laughs> so yeah, so for anyone listening, uh, Chris Tropea uh, or T Rope, which is yeah. his, his nickname, um, who's a, he's a great friend. He's a great dude. He used to tour with the Dillinger Escape Plan, and um, ended up working with Periphery. Ended up working with you, Mike, and the Moody Blues. He worked for Prince. He's I, I mean he's had like quite a badass teching career and uh maybe if we ever can we'll get chris on the podcast and he and i can tell our story oh that would be fun that man that guy has some stories i mean the stories he has about prince i mean he always leads with i think he always says when people ask him how working with prince was he just says prince made me a grilled cheese once which i think is just so so t-rope it it really is very t-rope uh this this actually ties into something that might be quite interesting for the for the listeners who are interested in in getting into the music industry specifically, isn't it interesting how I don't think any one of us, T-Rope, myself, or you guys, have ever really achieved anything by showing your resume. You know what I mean? In, in the sense that, you know, T-Rope's out teching with myself and the Moody Blues and Justin because he's great. I mean, he does a great job but he's a great guy and he's a great hang. And I mean, I'm here doing this podcast with you guys because I shot him out a message and we were like, yeah, because we know each other and we kind of hang, you know? And I, I think that's something that people, if people aren't really aware of how important the, the social aspect of, of the music business is, that's something that people really need to, to take on because pretty much everything that I've ever done has been from, in fact, there's actually a musician who I won't name because it's not announced yet, but he's from another country that isn't the UK or the US. We met at Nam, we had a good time, and he just invited me to his country to do some shows. You know, that's kind of how things are done, right? Is is that does that relate to to you, Matt? I know you're in a different sort of side to the industry, and there's a lot more of an infrastructure and agents getting stuff. And but do, do you do you make a lot of decisions that are actively involved in just getting together with people that have a good vibe and you click with definitely for me it's it's a little bit more like i'm more inclined to spend my time with people that i naturally engage with rather than i don't want to say forcing it but like you know um kind of reaching for it if that makes sense I, i don't i don't even know how to say it the best way but but for me okay so when i look at myself as a drummer and I look at like what I do when I travel around and I do clinics and stuff like that. And I am by myself. I find my, I find myself in these situations where I really do have to be very outwardly social with everyone because I don't have other team members who may be better with certain personality types or may, you know, um, kind of jive with people in on, on different levels than I do. I have to kind of look for those things and listen when having conversations and find the connecting points. And a lot of that just is, if you're talking specifically, it's like when you meet someone, don't always, don't talk about yourself, ask questions, learn about them, learn right, about their interests, totally. see what things you can connect on um, and, and, and put yourself out there in that way. Um, but, from a band perspective, you know, there's, there's guys in my band that, um, you know, I could, all of us rely on to like, go be the social messenger, you know, like, Oh, we're, we're tired. We're going to go to bed, but Hey Mark, you're going out. Awesome. Go make friends for the band, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) um, and that's, that's, that's that's a luxury. I wish I had dude. That's amazing. 
Totally. And, and I'm, I, I guess to your point, it, which is a big point, yes, being a great hang and being appropriate and knowing your role and knowing where you, where you fall in any situation, sort of whether it's the, peck, you know, the pecking order or whether it's just kind of not being the guy who wants all the attention in the room, but, but like observing the room and, and paying attention to your environment, that's really important for anyone. And then you can kind of figure out how to, how to fit into whatever conversation or whatever social scenario um, is taking place. But at the same time, I know quite a few people that, that you know as well um, who are more stoic, for lack of better, uh, better wording, you know, um, mm. who aren't necessarily as social maybe as you are or uh, me or Jordan or Mark, for, for example, but they still get tons of gigs. And I think with, with those people, you know, and if you're listening to this, if you don't really think that you are that social of a person and that is really hard for you, it, you don't have to be drastically over social. Um, you just kind of have to be really nice and really receptive and understand the environment and then do your job really well without complaining. Um, sure, sure. And I think that's the key is to not draw negative attention to yourself, but to simply just be the person that no one really needs to worry about. So when it comes time to book a tour and they say, oh, you know what? That guitar tech we need. Yeah, he's great. I, I never even noticed that he's around. He just does his job and crushes it. So yeah, let's, let's get him out because that's a no-brainer. That's nothing to worry about. That's right. the other side of it. Like You don't have to be overly social, but you have to do your job well and you have to be able to just kind of be a chameleon or a fly on the wall sometimes i think yeah of course i mean there's there's no i mean the the, the, the most important thing is always going to be do you do a great job you know what i mean like that that's that's why you're there obviously um and yeah i i, I totally relate to the uh you don't you don't want to force yourself to be an extrovert all the time yeah. i think being honest is very valuable you know um i guess what i was trying to say is no one likes the guy at, at, at the, the party or event who's going around saying, you know, uh, hey, here's my card. This is what I do. You know what I mean? It's well, you for can, me. You it's, can smell the bullshit on them. And that, that's exactly. There's an ulterior yeah, motive. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's not honest. Like for, if you're coming to talk to if you if someone's coming to talk to you and they are just trying to sell themselves, that's not an engagement. You know, that's them. That's a pitch. That's that's. It's it's not genuine. That's the thing. So honesty is is so important in this in this industry. I think. Um, or I, I value it incredibly highly. Um, you know, and also people that you know, if you you, you have a freelance task, for example, and, and you you want to try and hire someone to do that, be it some some graphic work or some editing work, and 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 they say to you, honestly, I've never done that before, but I'll I'll give it a go. You know, I, I appreciate that more than than the bullshit of oh yeah 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 no problem no problem no problem you know um, really honesty is uh, it, it goes a long way for sure. My north star in business and career is asking myself: Am I adding value? And if not, how can I add value? Um, I, I don't think you can ask for anything or try to sell anything until you've established that. For those who have been paying attention to this podcast for almost four months now. Uh, it, it took us maybe two months of us adding value by sharing this content, 
uh, for us to make one ask. And the ask was, hey, would you mind, uh, if you feel like we've added value to your life, would you mind going to the iTunes and uh, leaving a review or a rating? And right. I think our listeners, uh, whether whether it's it's like overt or not, I think they can at least taste that or smell that in that we're not asking of anything from them. Uh, we This whole project has been how do we add value to the community? And part of that is with the Facebook group, asking them directly, um, to your point, you know, having clear communication um, and, and figuring out, okay, well, maybe they want this, but we're not the best people for that. Or maybe they're asking for something different and maybe we can consider, Sorry, you know, I'm offering that. Mm, absolutely. Sorry, guys, I just um, needed to reset my, uh, my, um, my logic session expired for my backup. <laughs> Oh, we're all good, man. We're all just so, figuring this shit out together, man. Yeah, man. Hold on one second. I'm just going to go again. Um, would you just repeat the last 10 seconds of what you just said, Jordan, just so I can... So the, um, the idea is that it's, it's about adding value. And, and before we even ask for anything, uh, so with this podcast, it's been about how do we add value to a potential listener? And then once we get some listeners, we're, we're having clear and direct communication with them to see what's working and what's not before we've ever asked for anything. We've never, you know, asked anyone to purchase anything from this. Um, and sure. up until this point, four months in, the biggest ask we've had is, would you consider leaving a review on iTunes? Um, sure. I, I found for me, uh, the most success I have had is when I am contributing to some sort of community uh, so, for instance, I teach a lot of young musicians and they ask, well, how do I get from the point of being in a band to then playing shows? And, and I say, you know what, go join music community. And if not, go form music community uh, because mm. friends help friends at the end of the day. Exactly. Friends help friends. Right. Exactly. No one wants to. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You make genuine connections with people and. Um... You know, it's human nature, isn't it? You want to help out your friends, and 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 it's not done in any kind of way that's expecting anything in return, uh, necessarily. You know, it's not a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's just being a decent human being. I think that's um, key. That that's the key point is is do things without expectation of something coming back to you, and and I get joy out of doing that. Like if I meet somebody and I can put them in touch with somebody else or point them in a direction for whatever it is. Um, it's awesome to do that because it's like, hell yeah, you know, I, I helped somebody potentially today. And if it turns into something, then it's great because, you know, you, you feel like you did something good, you know? Exactly. And that, that ties into this podcast as well, because I, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm getting a lot out of this. Just, just, just being motivated by this conversation. You know, this is something that we would do with a beer anyway. Totally. I agree. You know? And okay, so speaking of the the big picture conversation, I have two things that I wanted to ask. Uh, one of these questions ties back to one of our listeners, um, who's a great drummer named Adam Yanzi, and he posted in the group, uh, I think earlier this week or last week, and he was talking about how he's been grinding his ass off lately. And this goes back to what you were saying before, Mike, but I want to touch on a little bit more in depth. He was talking about how lately he's been grinding his ass off and he knows that he needs to give himself a break and needs to, you know, reward himself, excuse me, almost with like just one day off to do whatever he wants to do. And within 
the time that he gave himself to, to have a break, he felt extremely kind of, uh, uh, I guess, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like conflicted about it because he knew that he took the time off to relax, but all he <laughs> wanted to do was work. You know, like, oh, yeah. that's yeah, all yeah. the, and, and, you know, you were talking about having trouble sleeping, and I imagine it's because your mind is racing uh, at night sometimes, and you're thinking about all the things you need to do. Um, we were talking about, you know, you were saying, like, it's okay to give yourself a break and work all the time, but give yourself a break. How do you give yourself a break when your mind is racing? Like, how, like, do, do, you, do you see what I'm asking? And, and uh, Absolutely. I 100%, I, I've, I've I've had this debate internally and with a few other people. In fact, I think I was talking to Misha about this not too long ago. Um, so there's a few things that that I do. Um, so when it comes to really needing a break, first of all, I get bored very easily. Um, I find that a good thing for me is to say put down the guitar, put down the computer, put down the Mike Dawes in parenthesis world. And do something else like watch a movie, play a video game, go hang out with friends for as long as it takes until I am so sick of doing that, that all I want to do is play guitar and do my stuff. Right. And that for me is my rest. My rest is distracting myself until I can't, I, I'm, I'm physically incapable of not picking up my guitar again, because at the end of the day, um, what I'm doing, and I'm sure what Adam's doing as well, is, is out of passion. Like, having a break is great, but we're going to want to come back to it. Like, we want, he wants to play the drums, right? He wants to, um, to, to do his thing. So, so there is that. In terms of taking a break and having a distraction, I'll veg out on the sofa, watch a couple of movies, and then at the end of, the at, at the end of that, I'll just be so bored of that. I will want to be productive physically and i'll be physically rested by that point another thing is switch off your goddamn phones everyone who is listening to this right now the best ideas creatively for for work and and for just just general life just just spiritual decisions come from when i'm like in the shower or driving or sometime when i'm just in my head and i'm not staring at my device my computer my phone whatever ipad whatever um when I, uh, I'm 27, so um, I grew up, when I was at school, there were no, we didn't really have mobile phones, or like, they started to come in, like the Nokia 3310 and stuff came in when I was at school, but I'd be at the bus stop, and when I was at the bus stop, I'd be at the bus stop with all the other people on their way to work, on their way to school, and we'd just wait for the bus, right? Now, you don't wait for the bus, you, you're on Facebook, you don't ride the bus, you're on Facebook, you know what I mean? When I was at that bus stop waiting for the bus, all my creative ideas and my inspirations came to me. You cannot get that motivation if you're fiddling and procrastinating on your phones. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's cool you mentioned that because in the past week or so, I've actually been experimenting with that. And I'll often go get dinner where my apartment is. There's a bunch of restaurants within within walking distance. And... I will now leave my phone at the apartment and I will be without it for, you know, an hour, for two hours or so. It is one of the most liberating decisions that I've made recently. Uh, there's just something, I, I, there's less attachment, there's less weight, there's less stress, and there's more freedom to explore myself. 
exactly that last statement man like absolutely it's if you are looking at something you are not in your own mind creating thoughts having ideas you know what i mean um we're all creatives in some capacity and to have that creative potential fulfilled we need to have ideas and you can't have ideas if you're the part of your brain that creates ideas is distracted by anything else so going back to matt's point about how you cannot feel guilty about resting is honestly if you're if you're resting physically but your mind is also well rested you will you will come up with ideas almost involuntarily it will happen that's that's it's called inspiration you know what i mean you I don't look I'm, for inspiration it just happens and it happens through rest and through switching off i think maybe a way to reframe it is treat it as time to invest in yourself for your large exactly. goals Absolutely. Yeah. The, the last sentence you said of your previous point hit the nail on the head. Freedom to explore yourself, basically. So, Mike, I want to go back a bit when you were talking about the uh, cottage clinics. Um, yeah. And if you want to sit back in pro wrestling terms, I want to put you over for a bit. All right. So <laughs> I, I was checking out your website uh, this morning, as I said earlier. And one, I was so impressed with the service of, of the cottage clinic and, and to give a snapshot uh, so you're, you're asking people to really not do much except show up either to, to an airport or, or one of two train stations, right, at, at 10 a.m.? Yeah. And, and you're there to pick them up, and you'll take them, I guess, to the cottage and, and do some guitar instruction, and then you guys will go out and eat and drink and then come back and do more guitar all in time to be dropped off at the same location uh, at a specific time. Yeah. So that that that's it in a nutshell. One, I love the simplicity of the service. I love uh, just how effortless it is to think. Okay, all I need to do is show up at this very you know public place at 10 a.m. and the rest will be taken care of. Uh, but really, what I want to compliment you on, and I think a lot of people can learn from it, is that. I read this before I had ever spoken to you, and I really read it before I watched any video of you, but just through your written copy, I got a very clear sense of your personality and what it would be like to have that experience with you. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't even read that page on the website for quite some time, so I can't recall exactly what it says, but... But yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I do. I mean, it, it's always online and I'll get inquiries for it. And I'll, you know, if it works timing wise, it works. If I'm away on tour and it doesn't work, it doesn't. But I normally do maybe, let's say, 10 of those in a year, given my schedule, you know, like a full day, people coming. But but people people come from all over the world. In fact, the last one I just did, a dude came from Australia, if you can believe that. That's incredible. Australia. So you can, I mean, he, he, he had a few other lessons with a few other people uh, around the same time but we did two of these whole days we did a friday and then he would spend the weekend practicing what we did and then we do a whole monday as well right um and lots most people actually come from france or belgium or sort of western europe but outside of the uk um that that seems to be pretty common people people doing that but it's a lot of fun i mean and, and also it's it's in the countryside you know what i mean i i take them for for lunch at this award-winning country pub with all, all the all the British cliches, you know, your cider, your your ales, your all that stuff, and and it's a good time. And and the, I I'm, I guess I'm hoping that I'm I'm coming across in a genuine way on here because 
I'm very, very honest at any teaching situation. Like, if I want to trash on a record label, I'll trash on a record label. And that's really not a professional thing to do. But I think I've developed a little bit of a reputation for that within the community. And I think that's what um, people people appreciate. You know, I'll I'll tell people stories about how I was totally miserable and, and, and just an embarrassing shell of a human being, you know, because it will help them or I feel it will help them in their development. And again, helping people and watching them grow in the same way that you're watching them cover a technical piece of music that you've composed in a brilliantly proficient way is the most rewarding thing about this whole journey. Yeah, it really seems like you've curated a very authentic experience, not only with you, but in this romantic sense of your town. And as you spoke earlier in the, in the podcast about you are part of a very niche community uh, with a fingerstyle type of guitar playing. But in, in that sense, it, it's almost an advantage to you in that it, it's this idea of depth over width. So, yeah, uh, it may be a very narrow field that you're in, but you've gone really deep into it. And for those people who may be as far away as Australia, if they really connect with what you do, then they're willing to invest time and money uh, you know, in, in this type of experience. That's, that's the thing. It's, um, it is a niche. And actually I, I, I got some advice pretty early on when I was at school from a friend's dad, um, named Bibbs Eckel. And he is a balalaika player. This is a Russian family, um, who play the Russian traditional instrument, the balalaika, which is sort of like the, it's like a three string, almost ukulele, but with a triangular body. It looks like a nacho with a, with a couple of strings. And it's, it's bizarre, but, um, it's it's because it's such a niche thing he gets all the gigs right he does the movie soundtracks for the gangster movies you know like snatch and and lockstock and whatever he 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 plays that's his thing and he's the guy that gets flown in to do it because he's he's the best at that and also there's just not that many other people doing it um the, the scene that i'm in is it's small but it is growing for sure i mean in the uk we had um, this big pop star named Newton Faulkner, who's, who's a good friend now, actually, um, in 2008, 2009, he had a few number one albums in the UK, you know, and, and he's, he's a singer songwriter, but he plays sort of percussive modern fingerstyle guitar. And, and, and that's his, that was his kind of thing. Um, so it is growing for sure. It's a growing scene. I'm very grateful to be included with this list of my own personal guitar heroes, because I am the youngling really in the scene. Um, most of these guys are, are in their 40s or, or older, you know, and they've been doing it since sort of the 80s, some of them, or even earlier. Um, so, yeah, I think having a niche is is a very powerful thing if you if you invest yourself fully into it, you know. A lot, I mean, like 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 Matt, you know, the, the the whole that whole scene. Again, I'm I'm looking at it from the outside. I mean, both you guys probably know more about it than I do, but you know, both you guys are, are trailblazers, right? I mean, you you you're the dudes that the other kids want to learn from to do that specific in the grand scheme of things niche thing um, honestly i'm completely ignorant uh to matt's world I, I guess in the same way that i'm ignorant to your world but i also play in a very specific field right um and and I think a, a really nice lesson in, in this part of the conversation is that, you know, as social creatures, we all have this innate desire to fit in. Um, or if we're just more realistically trying to make money and support ourselves, we look to what everyone else is doing and what seems to work. 
But uh, if we really can find that thing that feels more true or authentic to us, uh, and maybe it's something that we've been doing all our lives anyway and develop some sort of passion or skill, if we really believe in that and really go all into that uh, and, and in a way find a way to add value to someone else with that passion or skill, I think the world comes to you. Now, now, granted, there's a lot of work that goes into it, and you've demonstrated this really well. You've taken all this attention that you got from the Gautier cover, and that you're writing for different uh, music publications, and you've leveraged social media, and, and even creating apps, and all these different things. So it does take these skills uh, to kind of leverage the attention and be able to communicate with the world what you're doing. But I think the fact that uh, I guess what all three of us have is very specific. Uh, it makes it much easier to stand out if, you know, we're putting the work in and really learning the craft. That's the thing. I mean, I, I was the, the university course. So I, the, the equivalent in the U.S. would be college. Um, the course that I, I guess majored in was was sort of com- it was called commercial music. Literally, it was it was sort of music twinned with business and but but it was pop music it was i was the black sheep of that whole thing um you know why don't you get a singer why don't you try and write a hit you know and and i was fully invested in in my niche um i think the the other guy that came out of that course was doing doing pretty super well right now um in my year is the md and keyboard player for rag and bone man now and rag and bone man's blown up big time this year actually um but um yeah, I, I I completely blanked on what I was just about to say. I'm sorry. Could you repeat the? Uh, so the I last actually thing relate to your story at university uh, when I so I I have a master's in clinical psychology, and right. everything that I did in those classes was incorporating drumming and rhythm more specifically, and so in that sense I was the black sheep of the program, and everyone was supportive, but they were definitely uh, questioning my path and curious about how I could uh, monetize this. Uh, but right. for me, through just playing in bands, I learned how to you know, build and market brands. And I trusted in the work. And you know, now, multiple times a semester, I get asked to come back and speak to the current grad students uh, in, in a sense of the, they want to use me as a model of how I use that educational program to launch a career. I sure. think it's playing at the edge. I mean, that's where new things are invented and created and that's where you stand out but it's this idea of you got to go to the edges exactly but from the from the outside it's very easy to dismiss it as oh he's doing something niche therefore of course he's known for it of course it's easy that's really not the case you're grinding as much as anybody else really um and also the disadvantage of being in a niche is the ceiling you know if 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 i'm sure any of us had put the effort that we have put into what it is that we're doing because we're passionate about it. If we put that effort into a different side of the industry, you know, we may well be in a situation where we're at the same level of stability right now, but the ceiling is a lot higher. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm never going to be playing Wembley stadium as a solo fingerstyle guitar player. Don't think that honestly, don't think that Mike. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, it's a niche at the end of the day. You know what I mean? I'm playing very unusual music because it's what makes me happy. I'm not doing it with any commercial, um, any um, commerciality in mind at all. None. There's the musical side of things is completely 
all about whatever I happen to want to write at the time. Uh, there's, I mean, this next album uh, era, there's maybe like one tune on it that your, you know, your casual listener would would pick up on. The rest of it's just deep, just whatever just came out, came out. But then having the the the, the, the business mindset to think, how can we maximize on this? That's that's what's very interesting. Um, so yeah, I. I how, how do you feel about that? I mean, did you guys, do you guys, when you're creating, do you create with uh, that kind of commerciality in mind, or is I, I, I don't really know where um, yeah you guys could come from on that. Again, my north star is: Am I adding value? How can I add value? And then, even more specifically, how can I communicate that value to a potential consumer? Right. Yeah. Yeah. When it, I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with, with both of you guys in this sense. For me, it's the things that I end up creating are based off of my natural interests and things that excite me and things that I end up wanting to genuinely share with people because I am excited about it and I like to talk about and do the things that I'm into. Um, so it's, it's really genuine from that standpoint. But it's never, it's never like, let's build something that's going to reach a lot of people. Okay, what do we build? It's... yeah. I'm really into this and man, this could probably affect or help a lot of people if they know that I'm into this, even if they don't pay attention to it from my standpoint, but maybe they'll pay attention to it in their own way and that's fine too. You know, like uh, it's, it's funny, it makes me think of the band happy thing when I had that going on. You know, I, of course, I, I wanted people to use the platform to teach and to engage with their fans. I was just as happy hearing about people that, you know, would, like musicians that I was friends with who would come up to me and say, yeah, like, you know, I, no, you know, no, no offense, but I don't really need the platform because I'm already doing this myself. And to me, that's great. Like whether I inspired that person to teach or not, it's a shared interest and it's something that's going to help people and benefit more people than if I was the only one just doing it, if that makes sense, which kind of ties into this idea of like, be happy for those around you that are either in your field or outside of your field that are doing great things. Don't be jealous. Don't be spiteful or like say, Oh, I wish that was me or they're having more success or things like that. I mean, that's, that's such an important and such an important point. And that's another thing that, that I've actually been, been very aware of scrolling through platforms like Instagram, where every Instagram video you see is some hot young shredder just killing it. And it's so easy just to think, oh man, they're like 13 years old and there's no way I'll ever reach that level and I'm 27, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. really, you can just switching that mindset because I, I used to look at other players with a little, little bit of like suspicion, you know, hmm, how can I do that? But I am a, a much happier person now that I've just stopped giving a fuck, basically, um, about all of that stuff. Um, I think someone just gave me that advice once, just stop giving a fuck. And really it's i'm so much happier because of that and also a lot of the music that i uh digest myself as a fan comes from friends which is 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 kind of strange like it's it's almost like if i know the person is a good person i i enjoy every bit of creativity that they put out there because i know where it comes from you know yeah we it's funny we've actually talked about that on previous episodes where you know you may not love the style but because you like the people behind it you can become a fan in that way and then you end up actually liking it 
a lot more. But but I think the key to what you're saying is, you know, one, lighten up a little bit. Like don't don't take yourself so seriously <laughs> and don't take others so seriously. Um, and look at the big picture. If there's a young player that's out there that's crushing it, but they're making more people aware of the genre and the style, then that is a good thing ultimately because it allows people to get hooked on this big picture idea and then dig in on their own time to find all the the different contributors that sort of fill up that that genre or that topic or whatever it may be you know totally Um, yeah so and that's the other way to look at it's just like yeah chill out a little bit and like don't don't worry so much about what other people are doing but if you're gonna be on instagram you're gonna look at other people it is you have to shift the mindset to say wow this is a really good thing that people are pushing in this field, you know, and they're mm. making other people aware. And um, also, how and also, how how can I learn from that? How can I improve what I'm doing? Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's just very it's it's very important to realize that you can always do it better. And there's tons of inspiration out there and tons of influence out there if you look for it and you look at things that way. Like you could look at someone's channel on Instagram that's getting tons and tons of followers and say, okay, what things can I take from this that aren't necessarily the, the unique magic that this one person has, but what things can I do? Like, is there good video? Can I film with the same quality of video? Is there really good audio? Can I film or can I record with the same kind of audio? Th- those things are really important from the, you know, with the point that you mentioned. Um, yeah. But the key is to not like let it bum you out if you don't have what they have you can only control so much and you only have your experiences to work from and your ability to work from so do the best you can is the is is i think you know the the key to that absolutely Um, so we we should wrap up soon but one thing in just a general thing that i wanted to ask you about and maybe we've touched on this but um is there something that stands out to you in your career thus far as I even either a one-time thing or or a consistent thing that you seem to struggle with or that you keep encountering as a challenge that you continuously have to overcome is there something that is even maybe universal that you're like oh there's that thing again you know like for me it's anxiety you know like I, I always have some level of anxiety with all sorts of different things for different reasons in my life and it's just something I have to temper and accept and know how to handle is there anything like that that you tend to struggle with? Absolutely. 100%. The idea of you haven't done enough. Right? Um, I, I it, Going back to what you were saying about uh, the drummer feeling this anxiety when he's resting, you know, feeling that he's wasting time. That's That is honestly a big thing about uh, what I do uh, this year has I've I've made efforts to take breaks more. Like I said, it was a bit of a New Year's resolution, and um, you know what, be it watching movies or seeing friends. In fact, I've been taking a lot of recreational trips this year. I went to Budapest and to Finland for midsummer, and I'm going to Sicily next week. And these are all recreational trips just to spend time with with good people. Um, but every day there's the did I do enough? voice you know because there is no one else to say yes or no it is just my own uh, imagination so then how do you say 
yes or no? What What's the measurement tool? That is the uh, million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I, I, look, I guess it it is what keeps pushing you. I, yeah, I'm 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 trying to think honestly. I mean, when you're on tour, it's pretty easy because, you know, did I do a good show? You know, um, I can let the emails stack up when I'm on tour, and I can not feel bad about it because I'm on tour. You know what I mean? Uh, when it's a weekend, anywhere in the world, it's okay. Because the rest of the world, even though you're working, the rest of the world typically isn't. So I use that as a as a breathing period, trying to sink in with the rest of the world. It's all very well not having a routine and doing whatever you want whenever you want, but the, the downside of that is that th- there's no no one to say stop. It's okay to stop. For me, the weekends, especially Sundays, if I'm not on tour, I will use as an excuse to to rest and to to recuperate and try and treat the Sundays as you know, my dad would, for example. Um, I mean, the whole, it's never good enough, you've never done enough, is something that all creatives have, really. I'm sure you can both relate to this. Um, For me, emptying an inbox helps. Making a list is something recently, not all the time, but only recently I've started doing, helps. Um, And also setting short but achievable deadlines. Like that is probably the biggest help because that's the equivalent of doing a nine to five for us, really. It's, you know, doing this by this time, go home and and have fun, you know. Um, So I'll set myself short achievable deadlines. So for me today, I had a series of video edits to do. The the designer for my album who's doing the artwork, he lost his hard drive on a flight to Miami. So I have to kind of solve that issue like redo all that stuff. I've got 23 more emails in my inbox I want to clear out and I'm going to do my post NAM show connecting with everyone who's, who I got a card from and things like this and just saying thank you to everyone that, that, that came out to a show on this tour. Once I've done that, um, over the next few hours, then I'll chill and have fun with these these friends who I'm with. Tomorrow I'm flying. Uh, normally when I'm flying, I'll, I'll do a little bit of work on the plane, be it through a list form or or maybe a few interviews or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, there's no one solution, unfortunately, because it's it's always a variety of problems, isn't it? Um, yeah. There's always something else coming in, and it could be something creative. It, it could have a creative solution, or it could have an academic solution. Um, but time management and small achievable deadlines has definitely helped me. I, I couldn't agree more. I always say it's about what priorities are pressing and what things you need to do first. And that kind of helps you to place things that can be pushed a little bit further out aside. And then you take those priorities and you make them into small measurable deadlines essentially. And then it sounds like what you do and and what I try to do is reward myself. uh, Even if it's a small reward, like taking the night off and playing, you know, N64, um, you know, that's a kind of reward to let your mind rest and, and let yourself breathe a bit. Um, exactly. Playing, playing, playing a game and chilling out is not being unproductive. It is being productive because you're, you're, you're resetting yourself for whatever it is that you're going to do next. I mean, I look at you guys in your circle, a lot of you guys are hardcore gamers. And, and, and a few years ago I was thinking, how are these guys being so productive, but still managing to complete an RPG? And it's all down to time management and that time management benefiting yourself moving forward. 
Totally. Yeah, you have to. I mean, look, you, no human being can be on 24-7 all the time. There has to be some recharging point. And um, I think this, this again, addresses some, addresses some questions that we've seen in the group. But, you know, instead of taking one full week off necessarily to give yourself a vacation, give yourself some, va- some vacation time every single day as part of a reward for reaching those daily goals. And if you can keep track of your time and, and set those goals based off of the priorities, then you genuinely will feel good and productive and you'll feel okay with giving your, yourself that reward time. You know? Absolutely. And this also relates directly to composition as well. You can't grind a composition. Like going away from the business thing and going into the creative thing, go, even going all the way back to the whole somebody that I used to know thing, I grinded for four days and then I just went away to Paris with a friend for the weekend, came back and grinded for four days. If I hadn't had that break in the middle, it would have not been a labor of love. It would have just been labor. You know, um, Taking breaks is really, really important with the creative side as well as the business side. You can't force it, right? Exactly. For, you know, for for the band, like for Periphery, um, I, I've noticed. So after we put out P three, everybody in the band was just kind of like, "Cool, I'm not writing for a while. I'm not even going to like pick up a guitar or pick up the drums or whatever." From that standpoint, with that focus, and I think that that's a good example of that. Like, you just can't force it and force it and force it. And like, just to reinforce that further, you know, I eventually sometime soon we're going to get back in the writing saddle all of us and it'll be time to write a new record and i know for us as a band and i'm sure this is the same for you and you even talked about this before like you wouldn't even go and take these tour offers until you gave yourself a full year to have material to promote well it's the same thing for us like it doesn't matter how long it takes it doesn't matter whether it's super inspired and we write a record in one month or it takes us a long time and we write it in six months when we give ourselves the chance to be creative we truly give ourselves the chance to be creative and we don't force it and i think that is a a huge key there you know what i mean to you just you have to give yourself a break and i learned about Absolutely. this um you know I, I talk about this when i teach and i learned it from you know different people in my life but like I, and going back to video games, uh, you know, here's the perfect example. And I've talked uh, talked about this in, in different um, on different platforms before. But, you know, you play the video game and you get to a level and you get to this boss and you want to beat the boss and you can't beat the boss. And you try and try and you force it and you force it and then you just keep failing and failing and you throw the controllers down and you're all pissed off and upset. And then you go do something else completely because you can't take it anymore. And then for whatever reason, you come back a couple hours later or the next day and you try once or twice and you got it. You've just, <clears throat> you did it. You beat the level, you know, and you yeah, achieved man. the goal. So nailed it. part of that comes from this, this, uh, there, there's a, a, I'm sure there's multiple studies on this, but one that I'm very familiar with is the Pomodoro method, which basically, you know, it, it's based on a specific amount of time and I won't get too granular with it, but you know, it's really important for humans to, to give themselves breaks so that their mind and their body can catch up to each other and, and, actually be ready to take on new creativity or new challenges oh man or just or just retain new information like this is this is hitting the nail on the head with like a practice routine even you it's all about working taking a break working taking a break and you, you sort of increase your ability like a step pattern 
you know when you're taking a break you don't sink too much you kind of plateau and then the next time you practice you go up another level and then you rest and you go up another level if you're grinding all the time you, you you're ascending this sort of diagonal line going from the bottom left to the top right the second you take a break after like a nine hour slog you're going to sink right back down to near where you started um you know your mind and your body need rest to retain information and to re to, to progress yeah i absolutely i couldn't have said it better myself well i think that's that's a really good point for us to kind of wrap this up on but before we do i wanted to ask mike if um you know, now's a great chance for you to, to plug your new record, any shows that you have coming up, and then also uh, any socials that you want to push so that people can, you know, people who specifically don't know you can follow you, can check out what you're doing and actually connect the dots. So is, is there anything that you want to want to push while we have you here? Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, uh, when's the estimated time of, of airing? We're going to put this out uh, next week. So the week. Okay. Yeah, the week. Uh, it'll, it'll be this coming Monday, which I think is today's the 18th, nice. right? So the 24th, I think. Well, in that case, yeah. I mean, well, basically, my name's Mike Dawes. <laughs> no, I have a new. Uh, my second record, Era, is coming out September the 15th worldwide on my own label. Um, and I'm actually going to be on tour on the East Coast and Census. So I'm doing New York at the Iridium. Uh, Manhattan, August 14th, 15th is Jam and Java in Vienna, Virginia, then a little guitar festival down in Wisconsin, and then um, I'm doing a UK tour, Australia, New Zealand, Germany, and more UK after that for the rest of the year before resting in December in a puddle of, of uh, exhaustion, but hopefully progressive and enthused in exhaustion. <laughs> That's awesome. And where can people find you online? Uh, MikeDawes.com, D-A-W-E-S, Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. Easy. Okay. And like even on Instagram and YouTube, is it just Mike Dawes or is there a specific handle that you use? Yeah. Fuck. Sorry. That I ran. I, I did a whole other track on Logic and now I'm just setting up another one. Oh, that's okay. No worries. <laughs> only one second. Sorry. Um, so there's these two little edit points we have, but it, it's, no, it's not no big deal. Oh, um, it's all good. Our, our listeners are very kind to us and, uh, and they understand. So it's uh, okay. It's all nice good. one. I'm adding another track right now. Um, input. You can tell how often I use Logic. That's okay. There we go. And and let's see. Oh, my startup disk is full. That's fantastic. That's okay. We're rolling. Um. So yeah, I'm MikeDoors.com. Uh, MikeDoors official on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, MikeDoors music on Twitter and just Mike underscore Doors on Instagram. And um, but I mean, we can like, we can just. I could just yell loudly from where I am and hopefully I'll yell loud, loud enough to reach you. I don't know. That works. Then, yeah. And we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll add all the, um, all the handles and so forth and the tags to the, uh, the, the Facebook group for the podcast it, as well as the podcast website as well. Oh, and um, by the way, um, that this new record, it features that, that periphery cover I did. It's on it. Scarlet. Um, the Scarlet new mix. Cover. Yeah. So that'll be formally released finally on, on record September the 15th. So, uh, hopefully you guys will dig that. That's awesome. I'm stoked. That yeah, I mean I love watching you perform that and I've obviously watched the video many times, but um it's it's very, very cool. It was it was a big honor. I know Mark took it to heart and we all did. So it's Oh dude, um some 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 couple like the other week just like got married to it. They like walked down the aisle to it and like, I uh, saw that. Yeah, pretty random. That's dude, uh, music I... is powerful stuff, man, and um and you know, I, I definitely certainly wouldn't have tackled that tune if I if I thought you guys weren't the best dudes. That's the thing, you know. Well, likewise. 
Likewise. We appreciate Cheers, it. Cheers, dude. Cheers, dude. Pleasure to be a part of this, and it's a great thing you got going here, and all the best moving forward, both you guys, and Thanks. Justin as well. Thanks, man. Um, real quick, so before once we wrap up, just stay on the line so you and I can chat for two seconds uh, after we hit the stop button. I think Jordan wanted to uh, to say one more thing, and then he's got to do his signature wrap-up as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, Yeah, Mike, uh, I just want to say, for as impressive as a musician um, and businessman that you are, uh, from this conversation, I take away that you're just as impressive of a human being. So uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, I'll speak on oh, behalf dude. of our audience. Uh, thank you for sharing your truth and your wisdom with all of us, man. Oh, dude, that's really kind of you, man. Anytime. And I hope for any anyone listening, you've taken something away from this. And if you want to reach out at any time for any advice about anything that I could possibly help with, just, just reach out on the socials or email or whatever. Anytime. Just always happy to connect with like-minded people. Awesome. Uh, and if you uh, haven't still yet connected with us at uh, Chaco Croissant on Facebook, you can uh, add us and join the private group. It's facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Uh, that is where a true engagement really goes down. Uh, if you join and even just check out some of the conversations that have been going on, it's something where Matt, Justin, and I uh, do our best to engage with everyone. But it's really cool to just see others uh, take a leadership role and really help each other out. Uh, again, if you found this to be of value today, uh, we encourage you to go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating. It helps us a lot. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast and that way every Monday morning it will show up in your podcast app of choice and you won't have to think about downloading it. Uh, so again, we thank Mike Dawes for being uh, an amazing guest and uh, we hope you guys have a great week. We will see you next Monday with another very inspiring guest. And until then, bye-bye.